Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Oh, thanks, random hipster. <laughs> Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, February 6th. <laughs> is moments away. But before we get into that, we got to thank the following unions again for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace and Aerosmith Workers Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, February 6th is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Ben, don't talk about the NBA trades. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, February 6th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, union man Ed Maher is back, and we welcome record store owner Paul Rafino. And now your host, if it was a record put out after the year 1979, <laughs> he has no clue what it is. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Ed Maher from Operating Engineers Local 150 in the studio. We're going to be talking to Department of Labor uh, appointees, uh, not union friendly to put it mildly. We're going to be talking about Trump's State of the Union and what it means for labor. And uh, Ed's got some interesting results from a poll of their members that... Uh, are well worth discussing. We're going to talk about that. And I'm going to talk about a Jimmy Hoffa book, even if nobody else wants to talk about it, because I'm really into Jimmy Hoffa these days. Ben Jarofsky book club. Yes. The Ben Jarofsky book club is a book called in the shadow of Hoffa by uh, Jack Goldsmith, which I obsessively read at in about two nights of just all night reading. Fascinating book. All right. I'll get it out of the way early. Just it, it is so great on so many levels. If you want to know, what it was like to organize the Teamsters, what Jimmy Hoffa had to do to organize the Teamsters, good and bad. Sure. Uh, the connection to the mob. Uh, and Jimmy, you know, he, he won me over. Nobody complained about mob influence when the owners who were trying to break the union were using mob thugs to beat up union organizers. Just saying For that, sure. Ed, okay? Pinkertons. Yeah, Pinkertons. But when it, no, I mean, raw mobsters right. that, in Detroit. But when, when Jimmy Hoffa cut the deal with the mobsters, uh, anyway, it gets into government overreach and Bobby Kennedy's role in uh, wiretapping. Pretty much they were wiretapping all the uh, Jimmy Hoffa's house, wherever he stayed. Uh, it was like a four-year, five-year effort to bring him down. And then, of course, it gets into the intricacies of who was behind his murder. Uh, and I'll just give it away, uh, just a, a little spoiler alert. Everything you see uh, in the movie The Irishman is made up. Okay, can we just say that right now? It's still a good movie. It's a great flick. I loved it. And I'll probably, I've watched it once. I'll probably watch it again. But totally fictitious. 
uh, Jack Goldsmith uh, in the Shadow Hoff. I cannot recommend it enough. All right, D, you got an update for me? Absolutely. I do. Hey, wh- whose name's on that banner right there? Uh, ben Jarofsky. You talk about whatever you want, buddy. Oh, thank All you, right? sir. I appreciate that. God. Okay, how about that NBA draft? Okay, today? not everything <laughs> that you want. Sorry. <laughs> Illinois Gov- the Bulls do. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Said, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> not well, as you can tell. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Well, hey, you can't win them all, buddy. I'm not a perfect person. This just in. Rich Miller, the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard of Capital Facts. Gotta love him. CapitalFacts.com. Go check it out. A fantastic source for Illinois news. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, for the first time, had a veto overridden. Wow, I missed this. Illinois lawmakers have voted to override a veto by Governor J.B. Pritzker that protects a tax exemption on aircraft parts. A 54-to-1 Senate vote Wednesday followed a unanimous House vote a day earlier. The override uh, forgives $50 million in past due taxes from private jet manufacturers and extends them to 2024. Lawmakers approved the tax break in 2010. It expired in 2014, but regulators took no notice and repair outfits did not collect the tax from jet owners. I wish I could uh, offer some valuable insights on this, but this is the first I've heard of it. <laughs> so I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert. You know, usually yet I pretend I'm an expert on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually I get, even if I'm not an expert, I do a little cribbing like five minutes. But this one caught me completely off guard. It so. sounds like the people who uh, ride pl- private jets are having some costs passed through to them. And, you know, I, I feel for those people that are... <laughs> Money's tight when you're, when Rich. you're in that circle. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, we've got to look out for them because they look out for us. Yeah, they're really looking out for us. Yeah, looking I just remember when, they, when Mayor Daly tore up Meg's Field uh, and the, all these people who owned private jets were outraged. I don't know if you were around for that. Uh, yeah. And I, I was critical of Mayor Daly, but that was, not, well, that was one of those moments where I'm like, hmm, a private airfield for rich people to get in and out of town or a park? I think I'm going with Mayor Daly on that one. So it's one of the few times Mayor Daly and I saw eye to eye. It was a boss move. It was I mean, a, you kidding oh me? Oh, my God. <laughs> Jimmy <laughs> Hoffa would have been like. In the middle of the night, yeah. Oh, I like that kid. I Love like it or it. hate it, it's, it's done. No, man, he just, <laughs> he waited till he was safely reelected. Yeah. Okay, he came right after an election. And then he tore it up. And then everybody was aghast. Oh, my God. Like, what? Where do you think you were living? Okay, people, you know, we, we have an all-powerful mayor. That's what he does. Anyway, so, all right, very good. Rich Miller, thank you uh, for the update, Dennis. All right, Ed Maher, uh, much, much to talk about and discuss. I'm through talking about the Jimmy Hoffa book, uh, at least for the moment. Um, Department of Labor uh, appointees and updates. We've talked about this in the past. Uh, Donald Trump does not have a benevolent uh, view of labor rights, to put it mildly, at least in terms of the people he appoints to run the Department of Labor. So one more time, talk about why it's significant uh, who Donald Trump appoints to the Department of Labor. Sure. I mean, this all kind of gets back to the struggle that unions are having right now in explaining to our members that the economy is good. You know, the the approval rating and some of the favorability that Donald Trump has among blue-collar workers you know, what's the reason for it? It's the economy, stupid. You know, look at 401ks. They see 401ks going up. They've been working. Um, you know, the economy has been pretty good, as it frankly was the last couple of years um, under Barack Obama as well. Um, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes. There are moves being directly made that are very bad for unions. Um, and so it's a tough thing for unions to 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 tell our members about these things that sometimes it, it gets a little bit into the weeds, but it's very important. When um, you know a lot of a lot of their energy is just focused on 
you know, I worked 60 hours this week or I, you know, I haven't gotten laid off for the winter and it's, you know, January. Um, and that's that's a real thing. So it's a, it's a bit of a struggle. And plus, you've got Trump out there saying things like, you know, your your union bosses are going to tell you I'm no good. But it's, you know, don't believe them. And so when you say like, hey, there's this stuff going on with the Department of Labor, they're like, that's what he said you were going to say. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he had appointed uh, Eugene Scalia to um, run the United States Department of Labor. And he had, I think, been general counsel or assistant general counsel under George W. Bush. But of course, he is um, son of the late, great Antonin Scalia of the uh, formerly of the United States Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of a theory that he's just kind of sitting in this spot until there's another vacancy and then they're going to put him up on the Supreme Court. But um, he's not a worker friendly person. Uh, he, He did a lot during his time at the Department of Labor that was bad for workers and just sort of preferential for for corporations over their employees. So what he's done in the last couple of weeks is hired. There's been a lot of criticism from hard, hardcore conservatives that the Department of Labor has not been harsh enough on unions, um, you know, on financial investigations, on on things like that. So what he's done is he's hired a couple of think tankers um, and professional, you know, they call them union avoidance consultants. So if you have a business and some people start to talk about forming a union, you could hire a union avoidance consultant who basically comes in and bends the law to, you know, within a, a centimeter of its breaking point to dissuade these workers or threaten these workers or punish these workers for, um, you know, trying to, to, to push collectively for a better life for themselves. So he hired two people uh, who are going to be special assistants at the Department of Labor's uh, Office of Labor, Labor Management Standards. Um, and one of them brags about being um, behind the largest union decertification campaign. He worked on a campaign in um, in Minnesota to get more than 20,000 home health care workers to decertify from their union. Um, and his name's Rusty Brown. And uh, then there's another named Trey Kovacs. And he's, I mean, he's not even in business for himself. He's just an author at a think tank. He writes policy papers about how bad unions are for for the American economy. And now he's going to be working for the Department of Labor, which, I mean, let's not forget originally, the the goal of the Department of Labor was to promote peace, promote labor peace, you know, to, to try to find a good balance between employers and employees that would kind of keep harmony through the, um, throughout the economy. And, and that's been, you know, up until, I don't know, maybe Reagan, that was the, the labor policy of the United States was just to promote harmony between employers and employees. Um, but it's kind of all going out the window. It's just, it's straight up uh, sycophants that are getting put in here that are going to run roughshod and, and, you know, plant landmines in places that are going to take generations to find and undo, uh, you know, if uh, a more friendly administration does come to take, take back the Department of Labor at any, at any mm-hmm. time. Um, so, I mean, these are the things, working from a union, for a union, we see things like this going on. Um, they're starting campaigns against worker centers. So worker centers are not unions. They don't engage in collective bargaining. They're, they're more or less sort of informal um, organizations that help low-wage and a lot of immigrant workers fight for some of the most basic workers' rights, basic human rights. Um, and these two individuals are uh, specifically targeting worker centers, saying that they should be um, regulated and uh, restricted just the same way that unions are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I... I 
you know, I think there's a, a, a special place in hell for people who go out of their way to take away the rights of low wage workers. Um, you know, usually the think about it, the hardest working person in the world is probably making almost nothing mm-hmm. for his, his or her work. Um, and these are the people that need protection and need need a hand. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I guess uh, conservatives might say they just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps or, you know, one of those one of those really cute um, sayings that they love to throw around. But um, these are the things, these are the people that are being hired within um, the administration. And it, it's going on in, in various um, areas, branches, whether it's OSHA, which uh, governs uh, occupational safety and health, uh, wage and hour enforcement to make sure that people aren't being, you know, totally screwed with on their um, on their paychecks. And if they are, that it's rectified. Those departments are just being gutted and they're adding um, staff to places that will just try to dismantle unions or um, take away unions power. So we did a poll, uh, the operating engineers, local 150, we've got 23,000 members across three states. So we did a poll of our membership. Um, You know, we did this probably 10 years ago and we found that for primary voters, we were about 50, 50 Democrat, Republican. It was like 51% Democrat, 49% Republican. And that was kind of surprising to a lot of people because the reputation of unions is that everybody's a Democrat, just, mm-hmm. you know, a bleeding heart liberal. It's absolutely not the case. So we did another poll and we found that right now a third of our members identify as Republicans, a third as Democrats, and a third as independents. Mm-hmm. More, more and more of the younger workers are identifying as independents. Um, but it used to be, you know, it used to be 50% Democrat, 20% Republican, and, uh, and those numbers are moving uh, very quickly. So we found that support for for the president among union members, and this is our union and it's it's consistent across the building trades, is very high. It's a lot higher than uh, any one of the Democratic challengers, which is alarming. When you say high, do you mean above 50%? Um, I think in our union, the, 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 the job approval for the president was 49%. It was higher than that across our international union, uh, but within our, you know, within the three states where we represent workers, it was a little bit lower. We but, like to think it's because we do a good job of, you know, communicating these issues to our members. I, I'm just going to throw this out before you continue. Forty nine percent is roughly where he is at his job approval rating right now in the country. So, mm-hmm. essentially, what you're telling me, or uh, you know, it's it's uh, support or oppose. That's that's the way the question was asked. Um, but uh, when when compared with uh, Democratic candidates, um, there wasn't there wasn't a single Democratic candidate that had more supporters than opposition. And I mean, we're talking twenty five percent support to fifty percent opposed. Um, it's it was it was shocking. Yeah, um, the numbers again that we saw locally were a little bit better than what we saw across the country, but it was alarming. Um, and then it, it was sort of the the issues that are important to to voters or to our members. Um, were labor rights, the economy, health care, retirement security. So some of the things that have happened with retirement security, first off, there was an attack that's being led by Republicans right now, uh, Senators Chuck Grassley and Lamar Alexander, to um, just completely dismantle uh, multi-employer pensions across the country. Our members are aware of that, so he got kind of bad marks on that. And then he slipped, what was it, about a week and a half ago when he said that uh, there were going to have to be limitations or... um, reforms made to Medicare and Medicaid, which, you know, anybody who noticed that there was a massive tax 
break for corporations knew that the next step was taking away healthcare for uh, healthcare and, and, you know, social security for working class people. Um, but it's, it's a challenge. As I said before, we're faced with a very serious challenge because as a, as a labor union, you know, we're, we don't take positions on guns. We don't take positions on abortion. We don't take positions on any social issues. There, everybody feels the way that they feel about them, and we encourage people to vote their conscience on everything. But our job in representing our members is to give them recommendations on who to vote for based on um, their ability to protect workers' rights, protect wage standards to, to ensure that people continue to make good money, and their willingness to invest in infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And create jobs and just, you know, modern or maintain a modern infrastructure, or I guess reintroduce a modern infrastructure in America because our infrastructure is falling apart. Um, and in that, in that, um, along those lines, it would be very, very difficult to make a case for the president uh, because the, the things that are being done behind the scenes are, t- they're nefarious. I mean, they are, they'll take generations to undo. Yeah. Um, but, You'll see it, you know, things like the State of the Union when he comes out and talks about, uh, you know, I support workers 100%. It works. It's, you know, I don't know if I can swear on here, but I want to. It's you nonsense. Can't, it's a podcast. Let's say it's nonsense. How <laughs> yeah. about that? My mom might be listening. Yeah, your mom. Right. Ryan Kelly used to swear all the time on this show. Uh, yeah. So great footsteps to follow in. Right on. But, uh, I mean, it's it's... It doesn't make any sense, and facts don't seem to really matter. But uh, he's he's getting through, and it just makes the challenge that much larger for for unions that are are, are kind of having to clean up the mess. All right, let's uh, make a a point about Donald Trump up front yeah. right now. And um, Donald Trump is a master of media, and I think I said this to you in the phone today. I may have said it to you in the show before, Ed. Donald Trump, I, I Donald Trump learned the tricks of the trade uh, by uh, dominating the New York media when he who was turned himself into a celebrity in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, in the wrestling game, in the oh, yeah. boxing game, he, he, lear- he, he learned pretty much everything he needs to know from wrestling. And I'm a fan of wrestling. So I know the games they play. And I see him doing this. I'm like, oh, my God, this is Vince McMahon. He, he, this is 101. I mean, look at the State of the Union. He's... Um giving away scholarships. And I mean, that's, that's all great. It, let's not pretend it's, it's, um, it's genuine. I mean, you give away one scholarship and, um, you know, you, you, you focus the attention of the nation on one scholarship instead of, you know, trying to put some sort of a plan in place to give many children those opportunities. Um, I mean, it's, it's just pure showmanship, giving the medal of freedom to Rush Limbaugh, you know, in the chamber having Melania. And I mean, I swear to God, when he introduced and thanked Melania for something or another during the State of the Union, I was, I was, they showed her face, and I was waiting for her to smile, waiting for her to smile. She didn't smile. I mean, I think she's probably a, ni- a very nice person. I have no reason to think <laughs> she's not a wonderful person, but I think it's just maybe toward Donald. And, you know, I think uh, the last woman who looked at me like that took half my pension. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that sounds like a whole separate show to discuss. Yeah, after hours, we'll do that. In the, yeah, <laughs> that's the last, half my pension. That sounds like a country uh, western song. Uh, half my pension. That's a good uh, idea. Uh, last woman who looked at me who took half my temp pension. Um, but but the point I'm making that he's a master of this, and yeah. I am. I'm leaving out the, the 21st century when he uh, uh, had the 
number one show in America, Celebrity Apprentice and all that apprentice. And uh, yeah, he's a huckster. And when he says something like, your union voices will say uh, uh, we are no good. And and then so you point out some, uh, you know, objective criticism of Trump, how an appointee uh, led a decertification process. And now this person's in a position to change the laws so that it's easier to decertify a union. OK, or harder to form a union. Right? These are very real or right easier to fire people without consequences or easier to um, to in a conflict or like a. If, if a worker brought charges against their employer for a blatant violation of their rights, it's easier for the employer to get away with it. You know, just all it takes is a tweak of a couple of words in, in labor policy or one decision from a labor board to change the way that, that all of this works. And it all, the last, the, I mean, since, since the president took over and, and uh, appointed a, a labor board, it's all slanting. And the Supreme Court is, is doing the same thing, but it's all slanted toward employers. I mean, employees frankly have no idea how many of how many of their rights have been given up whether it's you know if you um come to work tomorrow you're agreeing to um non-binding arbitration for wage complaints you can't sue your employer you have to go to non-binding arbitration and if you don't agree then don't come to work tomorrow like that was a supreme court case and it held up i mean the 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 voted along partisan lines but that's the kind of stuff that's happening um, and workers are being kind of left without uh, any sort of recourse to fight for anything. So when you conf- uh, are talking to uh, a member mm-hmm. and he or she comes back at you and said, you know, uh, that's what Trump said you were going to tell us. How do you respond to that? Um, I mean, it's it's all that we can say is that it's our job. Our members are equipment operators and they, they're great at what they do and they're, you know, highly intelligent, highly trained, highly skilled people. Um, and what we do, what I do is follow things that are going on like this and gather information and make recommendations uh, based on you know what I see happening, based on what I know, what all of this means for our members. And when it's bad, I'll tell them it's bad. And we have no reason to lie to them about this. Mm-hmm. Um, because we represent, I mean, we, we endorse Republican candidates all the time. We endorse Democratic candidates. We endorse whoever the best candidate is for our members, and they know that. Um, so it's not a it's not as though it's a personal thing, um, but it's just a matter of telling them like this is what's happening. It's it's clear as day, and this is bad for you. Um, but one of the things that we've also found is that the undecided portion of our members, and I think across um, building trades unions, is very low. You're either voting for Trump or you're voting against Trump. People aren't really waiting to see who Democrats nominate, at least in unions. It's it's either I'm voting for Trump or I'm voting for whatever Democrat is running against Trump. So if it's a, if it's a, a supporter of the president and you say something that's negative, it's a very, very steep uphill battle to, to change anybody's minds. And I think that that really goes for everybody. I mean, I... I've got Facebook. I see what's going on, and I see people trying to duke, you know, duke it out and and change minds. And uh, you know, I think maybe when I was when I was younger, I might have tried to do the same thing. But um, you know, it's it's people are just banging their heads against the wall trying to convince each other um, of things when it's it's very unlikely to to change a lot of minds. So that is it's an extraordinary challenge. I mean, I work for a union and I do communications and mm-hmm. finding things like. Uh, you know, explaining to members what was going on in some of these pension attacks, they understood that, and it it 
it changed some minds and it got people motivated. I think we had um, 13,000 of our members reached out to their um, United States senators about that it, over the course of, you know, four or five days over the holidays. So, I mean, certain things, it's just a matter of, um, you know, finding what those issues are that are easy to understand. I could explain the special assistant in the Department of Labor, Office of Labor Management Standards. It means something to me. It's pretty deep in the weeds. Yeah. So that might not be like the sexiest issue uh, to try to communicate, but um, all right, it, it so, piles up and piles up, and there's not a whole lot on the winning side uh, when it comes to the president. All right, so let me uh, phrase it this way. Uh, from a tactical standpoint, if there are no consequences political consequences to be paid by Donald Trump for uh, passing legislation or uh, enacting rules that hurt the labor movement, that hurt workers, that take money out of their pockets, that make it easier for them to be fired, that make it easier for employers to raise their health benefits, that make it easier for employers to take away their health benefits, that make it easier for employers to make it higher, harder to unionize. If there are, if Donald Trump can win over union support by saying your union bosses are going to tell you that's what we what I said if if there are ultimately no consequences for him to uh, promote this anti-union agenda what can labor unions do to keep him in line you know I think at the end of the day it's just it comes down to um, it comes down to the swing of the swing of the pendulum um, I would argue there have been very few consequences in any respect, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all heard what he said on, uh, what was the show with uh, Billy Bush? Inside, or, uh, Access Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, we all heard that. If you, if you told me, okay, you can take over somebody's mouth for five seconds and you get to, five seconds to say whatever you want to torpedo their chances in a mm -hmm. campaign, that would be pretty high up on the list. And it, there were, nothing happened, nothing changed. Didn't cost him a thing. Um, but I think that, He's becoming, I mean, in the face of these, this acquittal, um, I think he's going to become a lot more brazen in what he does. Oh, yeah. And um, the pendulum can only swing so far until you, you, you know, you poke the dog too many times. You, you kick a lion dog once too many times, and it'll stand up and it'll bite you. So at some point, people will, something will happen, something will be messed with there, where the thin layer of BS isn't going to be enough to cover it up, you know? But I mean, it's it's challenging because, like for example, the um, the the new NAFTA, right? Um, it's a better agreement than NAFTA was. NAFTA came from the Democrats, and that destroyed manufacturing in America. This one that uh, that Trump pushed, it's better than NAFTA. I mean, let's just be honest. So, little things like that. I don't know. I mean, if it uh, it's 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 going to be a challenge, um, but. I don't see anything slowing down, judging by the people that are being appointed to some of these jobs. There, there may be, like Alex Acosta, for example, he was the first person that Trump appointed to run the Department of Labor was Andy Puzder, the guy in charge of Hardee's, who, <laughs> yeah. you know, we could probably thank for some of our skyrocketing health care costs for mm -hmm. the amount of heart attacks that guy's responsible <laughs> for. Um, yeah. Also some alleged violence toward former wives and girlfriends. So he was, he pulled out of that uh that race, and it was uh, Alex Acosta, who you know apparently had you know given a sweetheart deal to one late Jeffrey Epstein, uh, who may or may not have killed himself. We don't really know. What do you think? 
I was, you got an opinion? He- heavy <laughs> emphasis on the not part of that uh, equation. Yeah, that's like the one thing that Democrats and Republicans can agree on. Uh, well, actually, some. Yeah, I don't know. Some of them are just kind of hoping the whole thing blows over. By the way, just want to urge everybody to check out our Leonard Goodman. And we did a deep dive on Jeffrey Epstein yeah. uh, with Leonard Goodman. And uh, yeah, we're going to bring him back in a couple weeks because that's a mini obsession of mine. Anyway, didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. <laughs> no, but. Uh, the, uh, like Alex Acosta was real. He wasn't punitive toward unions as as the head of the DOL. And a lot of the right was like, "What are you doing? You're wasting time. You're wasting an opportunity." I mean, give the give the Republicans credit for that. Um, when they when you give them power, they go for the jugular. No, they don't play, man. Right? They do not play. <laughs> they go, the yeah. whole like they go low, we go high. That uh, who was it? Who, Michelle was Obama. It? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't seem like going high is really no. A good going idea. high hasn't worked going in about low forty seems years. To deliver yeah. results. So. Jimmy Hoffa knew it right back in the fifties. Okay. Well, back before there were camera phones, things were a lot different. I think you know. Uh, yeah. Well, but by in, the way, in all walks, yeah, of life. in all walks of life. Okay, I'm going to really resist going into a Jimmy Hoffa thing. Um, you should. Uh, I'm going to do a whole show on it. It's fascinating, uh, particularly the relationship. Uh, you should start a book club. You got to come up with a couple of books first. I mean, you got one. You well, one okay. month down. What's next? Well, I'm an obs- uh, I'm an obsessive reader. Uh, this is like true confessions time with uh, Ed Maher. I'm a, an obsessive <laughs> reader. I'm up uh, every night till three in the morning reading. Really? Uh, which is why when people wake me up at nine, like, why aren't you out? In be- aren't you still in bed, man? I'm like, yeah. dude, were you up at three in the morning? Walking reading? the streets, all wild-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, what I. What was do. the best book of 2019? That I read? Yeah. Oh, my God. Ben Jarovsky was uh, an original right here. Uh, uh, 2019? Yeah. Oh, God. Well, see, I read a lot of fiction. So um, I would have to say City of Girls, uh, which was it's a novel uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert. That was my favorite book of 2019. But best book, I think, of this decade. It's the Hoffman Goldsmith. Book. I'm telling I'm you, man. Me. I cannot. I, get on this. I cannot rake it high enough for every all my. If you're a labor junkie, if you're a political junkie, if you're in the memoir, if you want to know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, if you if you're in the mob, it gets into the mobsters. It's the, probably going to be sold out on Amazon when I leave here. That's <laughs> right. growing endorsement. Wait, so wait, you're before, an Amazon influencer. Yeah, but oh my god, the books are flying <laughs> off the shelves. Uh, well, I hope I have a little more influence with books than I do with political candidates because most of the candidates I endorse or vote for lose. Um, all right, so I have to ask you this question. You were talking about uh, how Donald Trump is doing uh, relatively uh, better than uh, his Democratic opponents uh, in the survey of your members. Uh, is there anything that came out of the poll that you leads you to recommend you know, like a certain uh, theme or program or proposal that some of the Democratic candidates could articulate that would build their support with your members? I mean, I think investing in infrastructure is something that something that a lot of candidates do and nobody really, um, no president, I mean, Obama did a little a little bit on investment in infrastructure. Talk, Trump has talked a lot about it, um, but I mean the the term infrastructure week, National Infrastructure Week, is just a, a punchline in D.C. now because it's infrastructure week and they talk about all the things that are going to get done, and absolutely nothing gets done. But I mean, like I said before, and like has been said for decades in American politics, it's the economy, stupid. Keep people working, and they will be happy if their if their retirement accounts are 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 going up and uh, they're able to continue working, that's that's the primary issue for most Americans. Um, I mean, without that, 
it, without this sort of the security there, you're you're not really going to be focusing on a whole lot of other issues. You're going to be worried about how to keep the bills paid. So I think providing good paying jobs, whether it's union stuff or, or not, I mean, trying to put Americans to work, trying to increase people's wages, trying to give them better health care. I mean, this, this stuff that was at the State of the Union about, um, you know, the socialists are coming for your, regardless of what you think about the idea of national health care or what you think about sort of this, this abuse of the term socialism. Um, I mean, it, they're coming for the health care and they're going to take health care away from 180 million very happy Americans. It's like um, health care, this health care system in America is is shot. You know, the, the people who have $10,000 deductibles and $7,500 deductibles, I would argue that they're probably not extremely satisfied customers. I mean, that's 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 like uh, disaster insurance. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible thing. So um, I would say that we got to get back to the basics. Talk about how we're going to keep people working. Talk about how we're going to, you know, I, one one guy that I love, he's a single issue guy, but it's Andrew Yang. You know, I like him. He's smart. You can tell he's smart and he's got some interesting ideas about automation. Um, and just the fact that at some point, whether it's two years from now, 10 years, 20 years from now, it's going to displace people's jobs. And just like, you know, the turn away from coal did, just like the, the um, you know, the overseas uh, exodus of manufacturing did. So we're going to have to do something about it. And the, our experience with those two things is terrible. I mean, we didn't re- retrain people. We just kept mailing out. We, we just mailed out checks like, hey, your industry doesn't exist anymore. Here's some money. You know, don't cause too much trouble. <laughs> and it doesn't yeah. really work. So yeah. we got to figure out how we're going to keep people working, how we're going to allow people to to earn a good living, take care of their families. I mean, what what's more important than that? If you if you have that, you can start to work on, you know, worry about social issues. But it's like we say um, to our members, you know, vote your job, lobby your hobby. If you want to, if you want to, if you're worried about guns, if you're worried about abortion, whatever, you know, take action, reach out to legislators, whatever you want to do, but vote your job yeah. because you can't afford guns if you don't have a job. You know what I mean? Well, when I, uh, it's funny when you said this about uh, there's no consequences. To, I would say, uh, just listening to what you were talking about, Donald Trump has made a very clear calculation that there's certain issues he can't bend on because that would upset key portions of his base. Mm-hmm. So clearly he's not worried about the working man having jobs, infrastructure part of his base, uh, but he is very concerned, like, for instance, on abortion. He's not going to back away. No matter what he did in his right. personal life, back in the roaring 80s, 90s, and so forth, Ed Maher. I don't know you what know? you're suggesting, know, ben, yeah, but that's okay. out of line. Yeah, it is out of line. <laughs> he's a virtuous man. Yeah, he's a virtuous. Yeah, he's a real virtuous man. So, uh, But he's not going to bend on that one. All right, my next guest is on deck. We should bring him on. And Ed Maher, thank you so much. Uh, sobering. Go get that book. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll go through it next month. How's that sound? Uh, I... You know what? That's your assignment. Right. That I'm saying that right now. I cannot talk enough about this uh, Hoffa book. So, yeah, that's your assignment. I made a pile last night. No kidding. This is a true story. Of all the books that I've ordered from Amazon over the last six months that have just been sitting there unread, and yeah. I've got like eight of them. So Put, put this at the top. Oh, this but, one. All right. This I'm going to do it. For you, Ben. One, I, I'm, I'm telling ben, you, I'll man. You. This book, uh, if you're in, again, if you're in the politics, labor, mobsters and what happened to jimmy hoffa 
And plus, Bobby Kennedy and Richard Nixon. It's got a lot going for it. So I'll uh, call you at 3 a.m. let you know what I think. I'll be up. I believe it. Ed Maher, thank you so much. We'll be right back after this. Madam Secretary, you talk a lot about um, the mothers of your friends, where you went to their houses and you knew that they were going to be kind and generous and supportive of you. So that, that theme of women being present and how they make a difference um, talk a little bit about that and, and how that, again, animated some of the, the selections that you made of people in the book. That's a great question, Madam Mayor. Secretary, because, you talk um, a lot about... I wanted uh, to include uh, women who I could distinctly remember the impact that they had on me. And, you know, obviously historical figures. I, I, you know, I never knew Helen Keller or Anne Frank or Maria Tolchi for... Amelia Earhart, but as a little girl, they made a big impression on me. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m. West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. We have also heard, and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. I do not believe you are a racist, but I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. You also worked with them to oppose busing. You know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. As Attorney General of California, I was very proud to put in place a, a requirement that all my special agents would wear body cameras and keep those cameras on. Thank you. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jaromsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. We call this the Lenny Hour and the Ben Jaromsky Show from Indivisible Chicago, uh, and my beloved reader, Lenny. Uh, it's, well, let's see, last, who was your guest? Oh, Marie Newman. Oh, yeah. can I forget. Uh, Lenny always comes uh, with a guest. And uh, we have a guest sitting right here, and I'm looking at him. But before we introduce the guest, Lenny, why don't you give folks some updates on what uh, Indivisible is up to and things they should know about if they want to join the resistance. Yeah, so Indivisible, my local group is Indivisible IL-9, and we're in Jan Schakowsky's district, who's an amazing progressive Democrat in Illinois and throughout the nation. Uh, we have been... Uh, going to the third district because we have endorsed Marie Newman for Congress. Um, and there is a 
Um, there is a, a, um, going to be a canvas this weekend. There's a canvas every weekend, but this weekend, if there's any event that you go to or any canvas that you go to before the primary March 17th, go to this one. Cause I will be there. Um, there's going to be press there. It's going to be at Beverly Unitarian church at one zero two four four South Longwood drive. That's in Chicago and join the team to rally. We're going to do a canvas launch in Beverly. Um, and we're going to continue talking about, uh, why Marie Newman is um, going to, uh, give us a new day in IL three. So do that. If you're afraid of canvassing, if you've never canvassed before, then consider coming out to bar Louie. That's on Monday, February 10th from six to 8 PM. That's at 47 West Polk Street in Chicago, where Blue Beginnings is going to host a training. Um, political pros know it. Academic research confirms it. The best way to win elections is the old-fashioned way, walking the streets, knocking on doors, canvassing. But for many of us, it's a stretch. We're shy. We're nervous. We don't want to intrude. So Indivisible Chicago is a training program designed to let you get over it. Um, and we'll tell you how canvassing works and what to expect on your first shift and remove the mystery um, of why we should do this from veterans who've been doing this for a while. So please join us. That's on Monday. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out that um, Indivisible is really active on social media. For instance, we all came out um, just last night to reject the cover up to vote them out. This is um, a great post from Indivisible in Springfield. Mm -hmm. So red of a district they are, they turned out, they had their signs, Trump is guilty. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not according to the Senate. <laughs> I mourn for honesty. Um, so thank you for Indivisible Springfield for coming out. Thank you to those who came out uh, to Federal Plaza last night with Indivisible Chicago. Um, Indivisible's in Champaign-Urbana turned out too. Um, and also, you know, as Indivisibles, we are there to rally, to turn out on the streets, to canvas for candidates that we believe will help us with our progressive agenda. But we also want to support those Democrats who are in office, including our senators, Senator Duckworth and Senator Durbin, who in the um, Daily Herald said, let's open our eyes and Illinois senators call Trump acquittal a mistake. Mm -hmm. So find out your, uh, find out their office numbers online, just Google uh, Senator Durbin and Senator Duckworth and give them a call and say, thank you. Thank you for your voice in Washington, DC. We appreciate you and um, keep keep going. Um, and that's it. All right, Letty. Now, I'll just say this. Uh, Blue Beginnings, we've had Marge Albert on the show. Uh, Mike Lenahan was at First Tuesday uh, talking about Blue Beginnings. And I say this to everybody out there. All, so many, I've said this many times, so many people I know, uh, Democrats, are, are wandering around. So when, uh, Trump's going to win. It's all over. <laughs> I've seen this put out so many times. Was that Bill Clinton? <laughs> no, Clinton would say, uh, I, I love Hillary. That's, oh, that's okay. Bill Clinton. My, my next guest is like, oh, man, that's good. Whoa. That's <laughs> uh, Rich Little. That's as good. Anyway, uh, but you know what? Stop crying. Put away the tears. Put away your little uh, wimpy predictions. And if, you, if, if you're worried about it, do something about it. Do Go knock on some doors. It. Go knock on some doors. Yeah. Tell people about early voting, which starts in some counties on Thursday. Yeah. Um, if you're not registered to vote, you can do that online at elections.ilgov. Um, and yeah, we got to get out the vote. We got to do it now. We got to bring our friends because that's actually how we lose is when we don't 
do oh, anything. Oh, you start crying. The, oh, he's going to win. <laughs> the woe is me. I, I've been getting these texts from the DCC, and I, I, I really don't even know who, but the texts that I've been receiving are, you know, um, this is really bad. We're in big trouble. You know, um, Paul, this, we, we can throw up. It's so, like, I get it. We all feel that. But those sort of negative messages are not going to motivate people to all right, get out. Hold on. Why don't we, uh, before I uh, engage this this voice, because uh, I have a response to that, let me introduce our, our guest Yeah, here. so in addition to my activism stuff, I actually, like Ben said, work at the Chicago Reader, and um, I also have a small business in Andersonville. So when I went around asking people if they wanted to advertise, I knocked on my neighbor's doors, um, and my neighbor just down the street is Rattleback Records, and I was really happy, actually, to get this job at the Reader because it's forced me outside of my small business to talk to my neighbors. Um, so this has been a fantastic way to get to know you, Paul. Thank you for being here. This is Paul Rafino. He owns a shop that just opened up in Andersonville not too long ago, just down the street from us. Um, and we're really happy to have him here. The reason why I was thinking of Paul is because we just had this amazing issue, mm-hmm. which I believe you had. Um, Lior. Le- Lior. Lior and, uh, and Philip, Philip yes. Uh, last uh, last Sunday it ran, as I recall. Yep, mm-hmm. the 50 greatest albums of the 2010s, and let me have to tell you, Chicago a, albums. I love that it was a Chicago yes, focus too. That is correct. I sit corrected, young man. Uh, and I have to tell you that my ignorance was astounding. Uh, so Lior and Philip very graciously educated me, right, D? Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe not so graciously. Anyway, they educated me, so now I know a lot about it. Uh, but you sell many of these rec- records at your store? Um, it's always an education. I mean, there were a number of uh, things in there, and I've been working in record stores when I was in college here in Chicago, and, and also you know, uh, collecting records and listening to music my whole life, born and raised in Chicago. There was still a lot in that issue, mm-hmm. a lot of bands that I'd never heard of. So it was an education for me as well. But we, yes, we do have those records. Um, and if we don't have them, we'll find them. All right, you got some classics. We're going to go through those classics because that's more my generation. But before we do that, I just want to, uh, a couple things. Uh, what you said was very interesting before we introduced you. You were talking about when you get those fundraising uh, uh, letters on the uh, emails on the internet, uh, it, it kind of turns you off. I, I get bombarded. Uh, Paul, this is one of my favorite things. I get bombarded from all sectors. For some reason, I'm on the Tea Party list. I'm on the uh, Defend Trump list. Oh, lucky. I, I know, I'm, and, I, and I get lefty stuff, too. And the appeals, the Democratic uh, Committee, I'm on their list. So the appeals are just really interesting. Like, at some points, I guess they figure it's time to scare me in the action with these dire Trump's winning, do that, da, 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 da. Uh, or like the other side, the Tea Party will try to outrage me in the action with some. You won't believe what right. uh, Oprah said about Melania. You know, I'm like, wow, and then you click on that. You know, and by the way. Then you get into like worlds of advertising. They're always trying to sell you something. Oh, we got snake oil for you here before you get to what Oprah said about Melania. So anyway, the point is, is that they really are trying to manipulate you with different, and I think fear to a certain degree, you it, it works. You know? It's proven to work, unfortunately, but I think that we spend so much of our day-to-day life or or i shouldn't say we 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 do because i try not to but i think 
you know, whether it's the media or the powers that be like trying to keep us afraid, mm-hmm. I think on, on both sides of the, the political aisle, you know, I think that that has been something that has been in their playbook for a while. And it seems, as you said, to work. So they just keep feeding those flames. And, um, you know, when you're working from a place of fear, mm-hmm. you're, you're frozen. You're not able to make, you know, good judgment and good decisions. And I think that that's what they're counting on. Mm-hmm. Um, so All right. I, I'd like to see it. I'd, I'd like to see a little less of that. I'd like to see, you know, I, I, I want to know facts. I want to know, you know, reality. I'm fine hearing people's opinions, but this whole fear factor, it, it's off-putting. Well, I, I, I like to see it, the action. So, um, like for instance, when Mike Lanham was at first Tuesday on Tuesday, right before the show, and he came out and he talked about what people can do, join blue beginnings, go knock on doors, go make phone calls, what have you. That's like p- channeling your energies somewhere positive and instead of sitting back and just, uh, you know, cr- crying or, or going around <laughs> gloom and doom and you could actually do something, you know? Uh, so at least channel it. Uh, your anxieties, your fears, your angst, put it to, into action, into, uh, into motion. All right, now speaking of anxieties, fears, and angst, you're in the record business. Um, that's almost like somebody working for a newspaper. It's got a lot of faith and confidence in something that was really strong once upon a time, and we have hope for the future for it. Right. So talk, tell people a little bit of uh, how you got into the, re- in the record business. So as I mentioned, I worked here in Chicago at a record store chain called Secondhand Tune was used um, in new records uh, back in the day. Uh, I, I was in college at the time, and it was a great job. I loved working there. Um, and all, and always then you kind of had this idea and tucked in the back of my head that it would be really cool to own a little shop like this someday. I'm a music lover. I love collecting music. and um, But then I naturally went from working in a record store to becoming a, a teacher. Um, I worked in public education for, for 20 years, both as a teacher and uh, a school administrator. Um, and then after doing that for that number of years, I decided that, you know, as much as I loved what I did and I love public education and I think it's so unbelievably important to the health and well-being of our our society and our culture, um, it was time to, to make a change. And so um, I decided that I wanted to revisit that idea of opening my own shop, which for a long time didn't seem viable for a number of reasons, because as you mentioned Final was kind of a you know a dying format for a long time, but also because I was working in education for twenty years, so it wasn't viable for me to open a shop. But I decided I'm gonna you know I'm gonna do it. This seems like a good time. It's, you only live once. Why not? And uh, you know I live in Edgewater. Um, I, I shop and and eat and patronize the Andersonville you know in Edgewater neighborhoods all the time. Socialize with my friends there, and I noticed there wasn't. A music store in Andersonville. And I think, you know, growing up again here in Chicago, I feel like every neighborhood had a record store. And I think that they should. I think there should be a, a store that people could come to to find, whether it's records or CDs or, or, you know, whatever music format that they're looking for. I think that it's an important part. It's, an, it's as an important part of a neighborhood in terms of the shops that 
you know, should be there for diversity. Right. I mean, and we just take this moment, a lot of our listeners from out of town. Uh, and so uh, Andersonville is a community on the north side of Chicago, uh, not far from the Evanston border. But uh, anyway, on the north side of Chicago, on the lakefront of Chicago, a little geographical lesson for our out of town listeners. Thank you. All right. So you, uh, you got it together and you opened up a record store. Uh, November of 2018, November 1st of 2018. We decided to open. Well, no, we opened. We decided, and I decided in the summer of 2018 that we were really going to. I was really going to do this. And um, my husband, who is an attorney, when I first brought the idea to him and said, you know, I really would like to, uh, I think, open a record shop, and he was, he was like, no, that's <laughs> that's not that's not a good idea, probably. And and uh, so I, I kind of wrote up a business plan and and represented the idea to him and. He knows um, that I, I, he, you know, he's kind of like the, um, he grounds me, but I'm kind of like the, the, the ideas person, you know? And so um, I brought the idea to him again and I said, I'd really like to open this record shop and here's this business plan I wrote up. And he looked at me and said, we're opening a record shop, aren't we? And I said, yeah. And so he's been on board um, helping me with this process along with a number of friends and family members. And so we decided in the summer of 2018 to do it. By November 1st, we were open. And so you're renting a spot on renting uh, a spot right on Clark Street, 5405 North Clark, Clark and Belmoral, and uh, it's a great area as you mentioned. Andersonville has so much to offer, um, in so many ways. So I'm really happy to be there. And so when you're running a record store, what did you? What are the hours? So we're we're here. Um, we're open 11 to 7 Monday through Saturday, and 11 to 5 on Sundays except on the third Sunday of every month when we do uh, something that we've started up recently, a third Sunday concert series. So we have local musicians come um, and, and play from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And we've also partnered with Half Acre Brewing Company, and they do uh, free beer tastings on those third Sundays from 5 to 7 p.m. So it's just like, you know, a way to showcase local, other local businesses and local talent. Uh, my, my old friend Mark Thomas, who ran the alley for many years. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you know Mark, uh, real entrepreneur. I don't, but I know the alley. Uh, yeah, and uh, Mark always would tell me, uh, uh, think globally, shop locally. Always, I think, I don't know if he coined that phrase, but he said it all the time. I'm not going to do my Mark Thomas imitation. I'm just going to say it, the, the, the phrase. Uh, so is that sort of your worldview? Hundred percent, and I think that Andersonville again. Okay, I feel like this is a an ad, like an advertisement for Andersonville. But like, I feel like one of the nice things about that neighborhood is that they're very fiercely supportive of, you know, independently owned businesses, and um, and I think that's really important. All right, now so let's get into some of these records. Yeah, these are actual Crazy. LPs. These are actual LPs. Mm -hmm. um, there's a camera there, so you can just show it to the camera. We have. Uh, I'll do a little Vanna White and uh, walk yeah. it over there. Okay. Yeah. Cool. We have uh, David Fry was a. Um, oh. Was Thank you, Lenny. David Fry was a, a comedian in the '60s and '70s, and you know this album, uh, Richard Nixon Superstar. You yeah, know, I think it's classic. It's classic, right? Classic album, and speak and 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 speaks so profoundly to like you know Richard Nixon's cult personality, right? And you know, um, and and I think we have another president currently in the White House who shares some similar um, egomaniacal. Uh, you know tendencies but i you know i was looking at some of these records and i was looking at this this one in particular and and then the, the watergate comedy hour right um similar vein the missing white house tapes uh but but you know democrats weren't um 
immune to to being skewered as well. There's the first family rides again, which was initially oh um, a, a send up of like the Kennedys. Um, and so in looking, you know, as I was pulling records to kind of bring it and discuss. Wait, was, time was, out. Yeah, Hold on. Yeah. This, okay. I guess got to stop for a second here. All right. This is old time well, show. Jarofsky's mind's blown. Yeah, no, because, okay. I, this is my generation. Okay. It's my wheelhouse, uh, Paul. All right. So the Watergate comedy hour, uh, <laughs> so in the weeds, uh, Jack Burns and Avery Schreiber, who I love back in the day and anybody old out there, you, well, you, I think they're on YouTube a little, you can still see it, but they were comedians. And do, do, are you familiar with them at all? I'm not. You just know the record. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one would go, huh? And, and, and they would, I would do this bit with Dennis all the time. He doesn't know what I'm doing because he's young, so he never heard it. So I'll go, huh, 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 Remember when I do that one, D? Yeah. Huh, 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 That's Burns and Schreiber. Anyway, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't, but. No, the one guy, okay. The, so the guy will be talking and he'll say, huh? And, it, and the other guy will say, huh? And then they'll just come, huh? That's, huh? that's kind of great. Anyway, it's really weird. And uh, I do this bit all the time to Dennis. But he's like, <laughs> boy, even though I get it, still really weird. It's now actually, I get it. Still kind of weird. I have to say, it's I, I didn't know that reference at all. But here's what's really funny. Like my husband and I will do this little joke thing with each other where yeah. like we'll say something and, and, and I'll go, huh? And he'll go, what? And I'll go, huh? You're channeling your inner. Who knew? I didn't even know. This is like there's a giant of business. You put it in context for me. You give me historical reference for it. And you know, I try to find it uh, on uh, YouTube once because I wanted to show Dennis. He didn't believe me. You know, sometimes he plays these games with me. I'll say, this is how it was. And he'll go, yeah, sure it was, Ben. I'm losing my mind. He's gaslighting me. Anyway, I couldn't find it to send it to him. But this proves it. There it is. All right. Oh, man, this is classic. The Watergate Comedy Hour. Uh, Nixon, by the way, as insane as Trump is, I could make an argument. I've done this on the show before. That Nixon was crazier. I'll spare you that argument right now. But Nixon uh, was a drunken insomniac. That's a terrible combination. Do you understand what I'm saying? You stay up late night drinking. No, I, I do. I, I think that, um, you know, Trump stays up late apparently too, but and, and he just gets drunk off of Fox News. Yeah. So I, actually, I don't know if that's... I think Trump goes, gets up early. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, early, he's the early guy. Right. But, but I do think, he, like, but... I think he's a. I think he's just all whenever. Well, let me ask you this: since uh, and Fox News is his juice, yeah, as his opposed juice. to you know, right. it gets him going. Yeah. That's I guess that's uh, to uh, Trump what a bourbon was Correct. to Nixon. So what else do you have there? You know, um, on a, on a local tip, right? Mayor Daly oh, yeah, on the man. record. Oh, my I mean, can God. you believe they released records like that? Ladies and gentlemen, Ron, don't walk there to get is. this thing. Mayor Daly on. Here's a picture with a fedora. Looking awfully sharp. Yeah, it looks sharp there. All right, youngsters, this is the original Mayor Daly, all right? A lot of you youngsters know Richard M. Daly. Before there was a Richard M. Daly, this is the there J. was a Richard J. Daly. Um, and it was Richard J. Daly. I'll give you a little uh, reader fact-checking thing here, Lenny. Many years ago, uh, there were rigorous fact-checkers at the reader, and it was Richard J. Daly. And so everybody who ever remotely lived in chicago knew him as richard j daly but they got this one fact checker at the reader who apparently just dropped in to chicago so i mentioned richard j daly in a story and she goes 
uh, are you sure that it's Richard J. Daly? I'm like, oh, brother. It's like you're not knowing Milhouse and Richard Nixon. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So what is this? This is just uh, his, you know, some speech like they do. Speeches or, you know. WMAQ political reporter Bill Cameron has taken years of pain taking. Oh, it should be painstaking. Uh, news gathering to put together uh, this suburb tribute to the late Mayor Day. Oh, my God. They put together bits and pieces of Mayor Daly. As a tribute. <laughs> As a tribute. So how is this he new? Boss, I mean, this know? is a new, this album. Well, no, that's so that's vintage. I mean, that's that's a used record from back in the day. All of these records that you're looking at right now. The, so we, I should clarify at Rattleback records, we sell used and new records. Um, you know, they, they're pressing new, new issues of records and reissues of records all the time. But these are records that have been around, whatever the date is on the back of that record. That's how long that record has been floating around. So this is not a new pressing. No, I don't. Damn someone. I mean, this is like a car that was only driven by nuns on Sunday. I know. I mean, this it's fun, right? Yeah. This this thing, this. Thing. You, where did that come <laughs> from? Uh, this this. I didn't know we were going to get into religion. Yeah, cars and nuns on Sunday. Well, you know, like they always say that this car was only driven by nuns on Sunday. You know, and I'd buy that car. I'd buy that car. Uh, yeah. So I don't know what year this came out, but this is shortly after his death, whenever he died. You know, so. Oh, it, 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 does it say here that? on the back? It might have. Like, oh yeah, a, duh. What does Until it his death on December twentieth, nineteen seventy. I remember. So where yeah. It was. So there you go. Uh, so Mayor Daly. So uh, how much are you selling this baby for? A whopping four dollars and ninety nine cents. Do you negotiate? No. Okay, that's <laughs> it. All sales are final. I mean, come on, look at that record. Where are you going to find that? You no. know, it's a piece of history, and and. It's, you, even if you just wanted to frame the, the cover, it's a piece of art. I, I know it is so classic. Right? Uh, I wish we could play it, but we obviously don't have a record player. No turntable. We'll hook you up. Yeah. Well. Um, so what else you got? I, there? Well, I, one of the things I wanted to talk about those records that we, you know we brought before. Have, you know, we have the National Lampoon. Of course, they've been around forever. Mm -hmm. The Missing White House oh. tapes. I, as I was pulling these records, one of the things that I thought about, and I'm just curious about your thoughts on this, is, you know, it, it's it's interesting that. You know, they, there's these send-ups of Richard Nixon, this, these send-ups of you know the the Kennedy family. I don't know in in our current political climate if a record like that could get made. You know, I mean, it was it was clearly they're skewering Richard Nixon and it's tongue in cheek. And you know, I think probably there were a number of people who voted for Richard Nixon who owned that record, and yeah. I, you know, and and got a kick out of it and thought it was funny and get understood the humor mm -hmm. behind it. I don't. I think that that's also something besides, you know, the, the fear factor that we talked about. I think we're also lacking a sense of humor and humility, like just in general about life, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yes, there are a lot of serious issues and there are a lot of serious things. Um, but, you know, sometimes you, you just have to like, it's so absurd. Yeah. You just have to like recognize the absurdity and laugh at it and poke fun at it. I don't. I just wonder if 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 something like that could get made today. I well, I mean, we do have. Um, it seems like every late night uh, com, uh, talk show host has an invitation to Trump. So, uh, so along the lines right. of uh, this is that right? That's how David we're. That, I guess that's where, how we're getting it yeah. now, right? Yeah. And Dennis has a Trump invitation. Let's hear it. Uh, hello. <laughs> That's all you got to say. That's yeah, it. It's, it's unbelievable. Isn't oh, it? there's that soft-spoken Trump, and then there's yelling Trump, which sounds like Ray Romano. Frankly, yeah. Oh. <laughs> do you know who Ray Romano I is? Do. Okay, come on. Uh, 
Everybody knows Ray Romano. That is plenty. Do you know Ray Romano? Yes, okay. <laughs> and not I, everybody knows Ray Romano. I'm everybody go, loves him. Yeah. They better know him. No, oh. I have not spoken publicly. That's good. That's good. Oh, oh man, he'll be at Zany's next week. All right. I just want to say <laughs> National Lampoon missing White House tapes. Uh, so of course this is this is so seventies. Uh, when Richard Nixon was um, being investigated and eventually there was impeachment uh, articles uh, drafted against him, uh, there was it, it was revealed, this is for you youngsters out there, that he had been taping uh, all conversations in the White House. Uh, and uh, so there were some, it also was revealed that there was 18 mi- minutes missing mm. of uh, in the taping. And it was probably the 18 minutes when Nixon said, I did it. All right. So uh, then the issue became what happened to the missing White House tapes. And uh, his secretary, Rosemary Woods, took the fall. She claimed that uh, she accidentally deleted a portion of the tapes while she was transcribing them. So the joke in the National Lampoon uh, cover here is that this um, this letter is being addressed to Miss Rosemary Woods. This joke has carried on. Paul, I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl, but there was a Super Bowl commercial for uh, Am- who's just the one Lenny that does Alexa. Oh, Amazon. Thank you. Yeah. And so it was an ad for Amazon, like they need any more advertising. And the gag was the different Alexas down through the years. And so one Alexa, I'm not making this up. They had a Richard Nixon imitator saying, "Alexa, erase that tape." No way. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm like looking at that, going, "Who gets that other than me?" You know what I'm saying? I get it. I mean, that's you people that study history. I mean, I was a history major in school, so you, you, yeah, that's. I didn't see that ad. I have to go back and look at that now. But that's pretty. Um, I mean, it's obscure reference yeah, now for obscure, a lot of people, yeah. but but you know, relevant. Uh, so here you go. Yeah, this is. He got the, a lot of flack for not erasing those tapes. I mean, that was a big deal, right? Like it was like, why didn't he just destroy the tapes? Well, that was the you advice uh, that Pat Buchanan gave him as one of his speechwriters. That was the advice, uh, the general advice that like Donald Trump took away from it. The, le- the lesson that Donald Trump learned from Watergate is that Nixon should have burned the tapes. Yeah. Okay. Not that, you know, he, sh- he should not, not, that he should, right, not that he shouldn't have done what he did. Yeah. You just have to, I mean, you burn the, ev- destroy the evidence. Look, I, you know, as I mentioned, I was a school administrator. I was a principal at an elementary school uh-huh. um, for a number of years. And um, I, I can't tell you how often I hear politicians, Donald Trump and others, um, say and, and do things that would have, you know, um, first through fifth graders sent to my office to have a talking to with the principal. Mm-hmm. And these are grown adults. Um, with a lot of power. Okay. It's, it's bizarre. All right, so let me ask you the tough question of the day. As a former uh, elementary school principal, would you have sent uh, Nancy Pelosi to the office for ripping up uh, a copy of a speech that you delivered? No. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Um, not, in, not in that context, you know? Uh, she ripped up a speech that was filled with... Uh, you know, lies and misleading uh, falsehoods and, and, you know, alternative facts. Uh, no, I think, I think that was a, a, a really brave act of civil disobedience. Uh, I read somewhere that she, she made a mistake. Speaking of late night hosts, right. One of them said uh, her mistake wasn't 
she, she shouldn't have ripped up the paper. She should have rolled it up and spanked him with it. <laughs> Who said that? I think it was Kimmel. Oh, yeah. I give him credit, man. Uh, and that's pretty that's funny. funny. Uh, I saw all the uh, articles, but put it in my mind when I was uh, doing a search uh, about Nancy Pelosi to get the, what the reaction was. One article after another chastising her for it. And I'm like, man, what a bunch of wimps the mainstream media is. Damn. I'm just like, ah, damn, you got this bully president who's just always mocking and maligning you and saying fake news and trying to drive you out of business. And here's this one woman with the guts to stand up to him. And what do you do? Oh, you went too far. He is the president. Yeah. I'm like, come on. That, if you don't stand up, if you don't speak truth to power, then what's what's the point yeah they'll you know what they'll do they'll walk all over you what what else you got this there? is so the, the kind of a more somber one but i thought like again this is it's called that day with god november 24th 1963 inspirational expressions following the death of president john f kennedy and look at all these people that are on there pope john paul the sixth and wow yeah now where did you find this again you know we we i am a um a record junkie vinyl junkie i go to garage sales estate sales thrift stores but now that we have a little shop um people um you know we buy and sell um used records and new records and so people will um, bring collections of their records in and you never know what you're gonna find We've, did you put the plastic on this no thing? it's is it still sealed i think so yeah, yeah it was never opened that happens too so it's we call that new old stock so that's somehow that record's been floating around since what 1964 63 63 yeah and and uh you know somehow it made its way over those years unopened and wound up in my little shop somehow Kind of wow. crazy, right? Yeah, I just, I'm looking at these uh, names. Yeah, this was uh, two days after Kennedy was shot. They came out with this album, really, yeah. <laughs> hate to say it, capitalizing. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, RCA, right? Uh, they weren't going to miss a beat. Uh, was it RCA? Yeah, it looks yeah like you're it. right, RCA. Man, and it's still... Uh, so how much would you sell this one for? Um, probably two to $3,000. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think that's like a three or $4 record as well. Okay. You know? Um, and then your friend, Rich Little, you, you referenced him earlier. Yes. Here he is the first family rides again. Um, this is a send up of, this is a, there was a whole series of these first family records, right? The first one was a send up of the Kennedys, as I mentioned. Um, and now they, th this was later, this was from, uh, the early eighties and you can see who Rich Little is, um, sort of supposed to be there, Ron, mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan, Ronald, yeah. Ron and Nancy, right? Oh, okay. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ron Jr. in the uh, yeah. the ballet, yeah. Tutu. And, of course. And, uh, every every stereotype stuff. you could think of, right? Yeah, and then the, the, the bedtime for Bonzo reference. Yep. That's what parody's all about. Yeah, though. and uh, so yeah, this is pretty, some, uh, yeah, vintage stuff from the Reagan years. The Reagan years. And how much would this go for? About four five dollars yeah all right. i mean we have we have very reasonable prices we have some very collectible records we do you know we records are a, a hot commodity now and so um i would say the average price of our used stuff is like in between five and ten dollars and then if you're looking for something more collectible it could go up to quite a bit more than that 
All right, very good, Paul Rufino. Thanks so much for stopping in. Of course. And uh, Lenny, uh, keep up the good work at Indivisible. Also want to thank Ed Maher, who was here earlier uh, in the show, and Miles Kampflassen. Good God, D. A lot of political talk here uh, today. And, uh, and also, I have to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Paul can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. Bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this program. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Join us on YouTube and you can join the Ben Jarofsky show live stream chat. An excellent chat as always, live stream chatters. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.